There's a scarecrow on your porch And there's a chill out in the air First we give thanks and need a turkey dinner Then like that, it's Santa Claus everywhere Every station's got jingle bells on repeat The store's got their lights on way too bright You know you may be feeling holidays and confused But everything will be Nice little golf clap, a little smattering there. Well, it is true, the holidays are a-coming, ready or not, here they come. And we are excited about that. You know, around here, we kicked off our holiday season last weekend with Believe 2016 because we believe that you really ought to celebrate the coming of Jesus. You ought to celebrate the fact that God put on flesh and became one of us. And so this is an exciting, exciting time of year for us, as I know it is for a lot of people, just in your, in your families immediately. It's a lot going on, and I think it's one of those times where, as just individuals and as a church collectively, we're usually more aware of being grateful and thankful. We're more aware of, of family and sometimes even more aware of faith and, and what it means and what it can mean throughout the rest of the year. But it can also be a time of year when we're more aware of stress. How many of you have ever heard about people getting stressed during the holidays? I'm just curious. Can I see a show of hands? It's one of those things. And, and this series that we're launching today is not a series about stress, but, but rather it's an opportunity for us to take all of the inherent challenges that come with this holiday season and, and ask ourselves the question, what if? As a matter of fact, right now, turn to your neighbor and ask that person, what if? What if we were to take all of those inherent challenges and some of the stresses that come along and the phone calls and inopportune moments that happen? I'm just teasing. I tease because I care, okay? It happens. I had my phone. You know what? I had my phone go off in the middle of a sermon one time. I had walked out on, I was preaching with my phone in my back pocket, and it started ringing when I was preaching. And it was when I realized, this is the world in which we live. And so sometimes it just happens, and I'm not going to get stressed about it. So anyway, back to the sermon at hand. I really, I, I want you to know, it's so funny. Anyway, I get distracted sometimes. Something shiny. Um, but... 
as we talk about the holidays, I think it's an opportunity for us to take some of those inherent struggles, some of those inherent challenges and stresses that come with the holidays and flip them and flip them instead to use them and to leverage them to focus our faith and to, to really focus our, our minds and our hearts on the things that really matter, on the real reasons for this season and keep the main thing the main thing. And it's our prayer as we launch this series today that not only will it work throughout this holiday, but it will actually work to set us up for the new year that's approaching so that what God does over the next few days, over this holiday season, will set us up for where he wants to take us into the new year and beyond. I want to invite you to take out your programs that you got when you came in today and to take some notes today because what we're going to talk about is something that obviously affects the holidays. The name of the series is Holidays and Confused, but it also can permeate our lives every single day of the year. The word holidays itself it is a great word to begin this conversation with because the word holidays means actually holy days. That is, days that are set apart for the purposes of God. And so we can make sure that when we start to get stressed, when we start to kind of get frenzied and freaked out, this is God's time. This is something he wants to use in our lives individually. I believe in our life as a church collectively, a church family. And so we're excited about this series. And I'm also excited because what we're going to do over the next few weeks together is go to some passages of Scripture that may be familiar, some, some images and icons of the Christmas story that may be familiar to all of us. But we're going to see how Scripture always has a fresh edge. There's always a new way that God uses through His Holy Spirit, His Word, to teach us and lead us and guide us and to disciple us to be more like Christ day in and day out. It's an amazing thing that only God can do, and he only does it through his word and the body of Christ, the church. So it's an exciting time. Now, we all know that the holidays can present some challenges, and I want to make sure that you understand we're not being negative. Rather, we're just putting everything out on the table to say this is how God can use something that could be negative for a positive, especially when it comes to family. Now, some of us may get a little bit of heartburn after a huge family holiday meal, but others of us, maybe we get heartburn before the family meal when we consider the family who will be gathering around that table. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Just a show of hands real quickly. If you're sitting next to the person who causes that heartburn, would you please not raise your hand? You know, I, I, got a, I got a PhD in this dynamic very, very early on, even before Julie and I got married. We got actually engaged on Christmas Day. I had driven to Laurel, Mississippi and proposed to Julie early that morning. She had accepted and taken the ring, and there were tears of joy, and I assume joy, and, and her family. And later that day, we were at her grandparents' house for the big Christmas meal where the whole family was gathered, and I was out in the backyard meeting family that I hadn't met yet, and I was Julie's, you know, fiancé, this is who she's going to marry, trying to, you know, mind my P's and Q's, when all of a sudden, I heard a commotion coming out of the back door into the backyard, 
And I heard at the top of his lungs, Julie's Uncle Bill yell, I hear we're going to have a wedding. (laughs) And I turned around to see Bill walking out the back door carrying the shotgun that he had gotten for Christmas morning that day. And when I say carrying, it was more like he was brandishing the shotgun. Now, let me quickly say, I had met Uncle Bill, and I knew he was just a jokester from way back, and and I knew intellectually that he wasn't going to shoot me, probably, and I knew (laughs) that the gun probably wasn't even loaded, but for just a split second, there was something in the back of my mind that just went, what have I gotten myself into? Has anybody ever had a moment like that with your in-laws or expected in-laws where you just think, O-M-G, for gosh, what in the world? Family is fascinating, isn't it? Family, family is a fascinating dynamic, and I've noticed something over the course of my 50-plus years now. Everybody has family. That's a profound statement. You ought to write that down in your notes. Everybody has family. And everybody that I've ever known in my life has a little bit of crazy within reach in their family. I'm just saying. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm telling you, everybody I have ever met, and I believe that it's for that reason that the Bible goes to such lengths and such detail to describe the birth of Jesus. Let me me show you what I'm talking about. If you've got your Bible, look at Luke chapter 2. Now, we know that Luke was a physician in the first century, and and I think his, his bent and his personality as a physician that led him to give us maybe the most detailed account of the birth of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 2, Luke begins to tell the story of Jesus' life like this. Look at what he says in verse 1. He says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Do you see the detail that he's going into here? The historicity? This is important. And he says, Everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line or the family of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So Luke is is framing the life of Jesus, not only in in its historical context, but also in its family context. He's placing Jesus within a specific family that his audience would have been incredibly familiar with. When he says that he is of the house and line of David, he's referring, of course, back to King David, the second king of Israel, who was descended all the way back from Abraham, where God had said, Abraham, I will make of your family a great nation, and there will be so many that you won't have enough stars in the skies to count them or grains of sand on the beach to number them. Your family will become a great nation, and through your family, I will bless the entire world. This is what Luke was referencing here as he set the stage for the birth of Christ and then the life of Jesus that would follow here on earth. Now, 
That's a fascinating moment in and of itself. But if you go to Matthew's account of Jesus' coming, there's a little more detail of a different sort that Matthew provides. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew begins by listing the genealogy of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I think I probably know the answer. Most of us, when we get to a part of the Bible that has the genealogies, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so who was the father of, or the old King James would say, so-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so. As soon as we see two begats, we start skimming. Am I right? Hey, who else skims over the begats? Let me just say, come on, don't lie in church. But I want to just real quickly hit a few of the highlights in this list that Matthew gives us. Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 1. He says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah. Messiah means anointed king, the promised one, who was a descendant of David and of Abraham. Verse 3, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now Tamar, that's, that's an important name that's in there. Verse 5, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Verse 6, Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Verse 12, after the Babylonian exile, Jehoiakim was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Everybody knows that. (laughs) And then in verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph. Now, this is a New Testament Jacob, not Jacob from the Old Testament. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, I listed those names and highlighted a few of those names for this reason. The family tree of Jesus is more than just the historical line of Jesus. If you go back and read the Old Testament where those names are listed and their stories told recorded as fact because they are, you will find a fascinating array that will give every one of our families a run for their crazy money. You have murderers, deceivers, you have incest, you have kings and queens, you have prostitutes. On and on the story goes, and yet, that is the very story, the very family that God used and redeemed and restored to perpetuate his purposes in this world that resulted in the birth of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the one who would die on the cross and rise again from the dead. So if you think your family is beyond the hope, help, and reach of the grace of God, read Matthew 1 one more time. There is no family... There is no story that is beyond the reach, the hope, and the scope of God's amazing grace. And so as we enter these holidays, there's an inherent lesson in this for us to to draw from and to go, okay, if that's true, and it is, then what do I do? And that's that's a remarkable skill to develop in our spiritual arsenal. To to take what the Bible says and and ask this question, to pray this question, because that's true, what do I do? Because it's true, what do I do? Because it's true, 
What do I do? The gospel of Jesus Christ has to impact. That means it changes everything. If the gospel doesn't change us at our core and therefore our behavior, then it's just another neat story. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is given to us for the salvation of our souls and the redemption of our lives. That means it changes how we handle everything, including family coming for Thanksgiving, including how we talk about that family coming for Thanksgiving. And I'm going to talk about why that is in a minute, but real quickly, let's just kind of touch base on maybe some of the challenges inherent in family. Family is a mixed bag, always. By definition, you've got People who come together in marriage and in love and puppy dogs and unicorns forever, and yet they bring together two different families of origin, two different styles of conflict resolution, two different views on religion, two different views on rearing children, two different views on handling money, two di- on and on. It is a mixed bag. It is a miracle of the Lord that we ever talk to each other. There's so much that has to be merged and meshed and made to work. And yet, by God's amazing grace, it does work. And it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But we've got to understand the role that we play. What is it that God wants us to do because the gospel is true? And to begin with, I want to just... Get out of, I want to go back and reach back just a couple of weeks and pull a verse out of the last series that we did. It's found in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 12, we we use this verse when we talked about our role as citizens, citizens in our communities, our neighborhood, and our nation. But it's also relevant and, and extremely pertinent for our role in the community of our families and how we function with each other. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says this, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Psychiatrists and therapists talk about conflict in in families and and elsewhere, but especially in families, a lot of times in terms of fishermen, in terms of anglers. Because there are people in your family, people in my family, who love to throw out hooks to engage us in conflict, to get us fired up, to engage in in arguments, in, in verbal and emotional hand-to-hand combat. They, they, they throw out hooks, but the hooks are always baited. The hooks are baited and weighted. Anybody know in your family some, some fishermen like I'm talking about who, who bring their rod and reel to the Thanksgiving dinner table? Some of you are afraid to raise your hand because you're sitting next to them, and that's okay. That was a joke. You should have laughed at that. But apparently not a very good joke. Here's here's the technique. 
When you see the hook, just look. When you see the hook, just look. Just, just notice to yourself. Maybe, maybe wink at your wife or your husband. <laughs> and if you can't get away with that, you can wink and, and you know, whatever later on. But just, just when you see the hook, just look. Just, just watch it float on by. Oh, there's a hook. When somebody in your family over the holidays throws out a lure or some bait with a hook in it, you only get hooked if you bite. You only get hooked if you bite. So when crazy Aunt Mildred walks through the door and you see her nine-foot fly rod sticking out of her purse... And she whips it out and starts kind of false casting. Here it comes. You see it come and goes. She goes, Aunt Mildred, can I get you another sweet tea like you? Aunt Mildred, man, that is such a fascinating take that you have on the recent election. It's interesting. What do you think about the Cowboys? And listen, if, Aunt Mildred, if, if the Cowboys are off limits in your family, you need a new family. I'm just kidding. I tell you, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, it also goes on to say that God will take care of judgment. God says, I, don't worry, I will set everything right in my time. Vengeance is not my job. Teaching a lesson. Have you ever wanted to teach a family member a lesson? That was the laugh of recognition. <laughs> teaching a lesson is not my job. God says he'll take care of that. Now let me tell you what is my job. Protecting my immediate family. If somebody from our extended family comes after Julie or Emily or Joseph, <laughs> game on. In love, without anger or rancor or malice. But you're not going to mess with my wife. And Julie is not going to let you mess with her husband. I mean, I, I've shared this with you before. I told our children, Julie is my bride. I chose her. You just showed up. <laughs> so if there's an extended family issue, my nuclear family, the, the, the family, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Hallelujah. My family, my immediate family, that, that's priority. And, and so we protect, that's my job. And so if there's an issue with your extended family intervening in your immediate family, you deal with that. If it's your spouse's extended family, your spouse deals with that. But we protect the house. 
That's our job. But it's not our job to take vengeance or to get revenge or to teach a lesson. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Because the gospel has to change the way we look at people. And what a phenomenal opportunity as well as responsibility that once we come into a relationship with Christ and we begin to follow Christ, we now are called to be the pipeline of amazing grace into other people's lives. And so what we communicate, how we communicate to those people will reveal Jesus to them accurately or not. As far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. This is God's will for our lives. And so just when you see the hook, just look. Just, just let, it, let it float on by and go get some more turkey. It's going to taste better than a plastic gummy worm that's got a two-aught size hook inside it. Live at peace with everyone. I found out something else about marriage very early on that I'm still learning. Anybody else still learning about marriage? Okay. <clears throat> marriage is a gift. It's awesome. Second greatest gift I've ever been given after my relationship with Christ, which is a gift, grace. Marriage is great. And marriage simplifies nothing. It doesn't. It enhances and enriches everything, and it simplifies nothing. But there's an amazing dynamic that God uses when we look for it, when we apply it. And I think it's captured really well in a passage of Scripture that gets used at a lot of weddings. A lot of, a lot of us have been to a lot of weddings. I, as a pastor, I've, I've officiated hundreds of weddings over the course of my ministry. And I actually I enjoy doing that. But there's a passage that gets read at a lot of weddings that I think a lot of people are familiar with. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. It is referred to as the love chapter of the Bible. But this is what 1 Corinthians 13 says. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, we, we know when we get to that part of a wedding, when somebody's going to read... This is the reading of the word of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 13. Most of us, I think, kind of like, okay, 1 Corinthians 13. Here we go. Love is patient. Love is kind. I got it. Let's, can, can we just get to the rings and the reception? <laughs> I'm just keeping it real. That's what I think a lot of. But what if we took that passage and applied it to our families and, and said, with, with my family, for example, Mac 
will be patient. Mac's going to be kind. He's not going to be self-seeking. He's not going to be boastful. Mac, Mac, as a matter of fact, Mac is going to always be hopeful. And Mac is going to persevere in every circumstance. What, what, would our, what would our Thanksgiving or, or Christmas tables or extended families look like if we, if we took that on us? And then I remember, that's Jesus. Because remember, the Bible says that God is love. It's not that God chooses to love and does his best. He is love. And so when I come to faith in Christ... And I confess my sins and I, I believe that he died on the cross and he rose again for me and I will follow him and be, begin to experience eternal life starting right here. It's, it's just a shadow of what it will be, but, but at least we're going to get started here. Then that's how I'm going to treat other people. That, that's how I'm going to treat, first of all, my family. Because remember, the family is the very first organization, the very first institution that God ordained to perpetuate his purposes in this world. It was the family before there was ever a church, before there was ever a, a business or a neighborhood association or a government or a school or a law. It was the family that, that God ordained. And God said, this is the primary vehicle that I want to use, that, that out of this love that I have for people, that husband and wife have for one another, children will be born. And these kids will come up in homes where moms and dads show and tell the story of God. And moms and dads infuse their kids with a love and a passion for God, for, for his house, for his ways. And, and moms and dads and the family will be the primary, not the only, but the primary vehicle and pipeline for my grace into a world that is literally dying for more grace. Now all of a sudden, Thanksgiving's bigger than the Cowboys and the Redskins. Thanksgiving is bigger than, oh my gosh, how long are they staying? Thanksgiving now, or the holidays, these holy days, these days set apart for the purposes of God, it's a pipeline for grace. It's, it's a pipeline for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, into people's lives. And it's not about what they've done to us or not done for us. It's all of a sudden, what could God do in that life? What could God do maybe through me this week? And maybe, it, maybe it's just, just being civil with, with somebody that, that I hadn't gotten along with for a long, long time. And maybe just by being civil, I, I could have an opportunity to just say, hey, I just want you to know I love you. I'm glad you're here. And, and maybe that's just the beginning of a conversation that gets extended and carried over 
beyond the holy days. And the personality and the power of Jesus and the personality and the power of the gospel kind of starts to radiate out of us a little bit more. The personality and the power of Jesus. That is what makes the holy days and every day. All right, all right, all right. And it's available to every single one of us. The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him would never die but would have eternal life. For God so loved the world. Now, it's true that God loves the world, the universe, or as Carl Sagan used to say, the cosmos. Some of you have to Google Carl Sagan later on. But when it says God loves the world, it means God loves you by name. He, he knew you before he made you. He had your soul in mind and in heart when he created you, when, when, when you came together. And he loves you. And he wants you to know him. And he created you to love him. This is the gospel. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment, if you would. And in this moment, if you're here today and you have maybe never stepped into a relationship with God, then as a church, we want to give you the opportunity to do exactly that. Just right now. To respond to the amazing grace of God. All it requires is a willing heart, completely surrendered to Him. Now, I know that the idea of surrender can be a little scary, but when you remember that He is love, when you remember that He gave His life for you, you begin to understand that He is the only one who could never take advantage of your surrender. That that surrender to him is in your best interest. It was in my best interest. And so if God's leading you to that today, then I want to just invite you to pray right where you're sitting. A prayer of commitment, a prayer of, yeah, surrender. Just in your own words, right where you're sitting, pray something like this. Just silently talk to God. Just silently say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you, all of it, in order to claim your forgiveness, all of it. Jesus, I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again for me. And I accept 
this gift from you. And I surrender my life to you to follow you from this moment forward. I don't know everything that that means, Jesus, but I trust you. I'm placing my faith in you. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, I want to ask you just to remain in a spirit of prayer with your heads bowed for just a brief moment, but a sacred moment. If that was your prayer and you meant it for the first time in your life, this is the biggest day of your life, the most significant day. And it's a day that as a church family, like your family, my family, we're not a perfect family, but we're, we're a church family. We want to help any way that we can. We want to learn from you. We want to learn with you. And so if you just pray that prayer, I want to ask you before you leave today to just take a brief moment and fill out the connect card that's inside your program. Fill it out with your name and contact information and indicate there, I, I committed my life to Christ this week. You can tear that off at the perforation right down the middle and before you leave, just hand that card to one of our ushers. Just let, let us know that God did that, if you would, please. And then the second thing, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed in this sacred moment, if you just prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to mark this moment by raising your hand quietly, but unmistakably, just, just raise it up high over your head and mark this moment in your life, but also in the life of this church. Because this is the most important thing in the world to us. This moment in your life is, is why we exist. And so as we offer ourselves to you as a church family, we honor that. We celebrate that. As you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.